Hey everybody, welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct, and again we are coming to you live, well, live on tape, I guess, from the beautiful NHL offices right here in New York City, and that means that Sean Rourke from NHL.com is sitting right next to me in person. How this are you, Sean? Good. This is like Studio B at this point of the Metal Misconduct Empire. Pretty much. Pretty much, although we had a, we had a, a mix-up uh, a couple months ago where we did a wonderful interview with our great friend, Mr. Mike McKenna, from this very office, but he was on the phone and uh, there was some technical glitch, so we're going to have to re redo that somehow down the road. And we have a lot to talk with Mike about. He's become the uh, top American goalie in the AHL as far as wins. Yeah. He won a cooking competition in Springfield. I and I say it's all from that interview that, that never I know we never s- saw the light of day. We set him on right the way, there. and I don't know if you saw the save he made the other day. I thought he was going to die on the breakaway when they tried the Forsberg move to leave it behind uh, him, and he did the splits at 33. Oof. I'm not getting up from that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't see that. I'll have to go look that up. Yeah. So. But uh, but anyway, uh, we are here again, as we like to be here, because uh, the balance of power in the NHL has kind of shifted to the East Coast, more from the West Coast. But so speaking of power on the East Coast, uh, we are very happy to jo- be joined by our good friend over in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Brian Metzer from the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network, amongst about a thousand and five other things that he does. Uh, but Penguins won the Stanley Cup last year, so clearly balance of power is here. Brian, how are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on, boys. I know we've talked about this how many times, but finally get to catch up with you. And all it took was the Penguins to win another Stanley Cup to make it a reality. Yeah, well, it's an interesting day. We're sitting here the day before uh, the trade deadline, so you guys will hear this a couple days later. Uh, and there's uh, a lot of rumors uh, concerning the Penguins, obviously, in defensemen. I just heard a, a trade that may or may not happen, so I won't, I won't speculate on that. But, but, Brian, obviously you cover the Penguins. You see them all year long. Uh, obviously they won the Cup last year. I have a couple questions for you regarding this year's Penguins. Like, well, Number one, do you feel they need something extra for them to make another really serious Cup run? Well, I mean, when you take a, a hard look at their roster, you right away would think no, just on paper, because it's almost the exact same group that won the Stanley Cup a season ago. But there's been a little something missing there, and I don't know if that's just because so many guys have been in and out of the lineup with injuries, and we've not really gotten a, a full look at what this team can be when they're at full health. But they're not looking as fast as they were a year ago, and that could just be because the speed picked up in the Metropolitan Division and around them, because as we all know, copycat league people start to try and do what you did to be successful. So I think they faced a lot more speed this season. But generally, I would have said no. They would have been fine. Roster is intact. I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. But now I, I see, you know, maybe a deficiency on the blue line there, just a little, in terms of depth. And they addressed that a little bit with Ron Hainsey. Maybe some of the other deals that have yet to shake out will address that as well. And I still believe they could use a depth forward, just somebody to slot in there, because at any given moment, Somebody like Brian Rust, once he gets healthy and gets back into the lineup, same with Connor Sheary, might drop off from where they were at times this season, and you're going to be looking for goals somewhere, specifically in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So maybe just a depth scorer to add to the back end of that that uh, top nine forwards that have always been so effective might help them quite a bit at this point. You said you had two questions. Oh, two. Well, actually, I have three. Uh, <laughs> But since I have three now that he led into into the the trade talk. So obviously, the Caps got uh, Shattenkirk yesterday. So and I know the Penguins were kind of looking at him, maybe more so, so the Caps don't get him. So does that mean that the that the Penguins now look for another defenseman just to kind of you know play the chess move of like okay the Caps got a defenseman, so we're going to now get another defenseman? 
Well, I don't know that they're going to get involved in an arms race uh, the, the way some teams might have, because you, you look at the way those powers have been in the Metropolitan Division. They've always they've all tried to keep up with one another. And I personally was not ready to anoint the Washington Capitals Stanley Cup champions just because they got Kevin Shattenkirk. A lot of my peers around the league seemed to do that last night, and that's for good reason. It was a, a great get for them. It has a great asset, a great weapon to a team that was already the best in hockey, but they have proven to be a team that no matter what move they have made, has they they found a way to be their own worst enemy come playoff time. So until they get past round one, round two, then we'll start to talk. But for right now, I think that the Penguins will be very satisfied with what they have with those complimentary pieces that we just mentioned. They bring in Ron Hainsey already. I think he's going to play a bigger role than some folks think that he will just because he checks off a lot of those boxes that you like to have when you want a, a team that's trying to get hungry again. He's an older guy, never been in the Stanley Cup playoffs, never won a Stanley Cup. So you can sort of rally around that fact and say, hey, let's win this one for Haynes. So that's a good thing. Now, if, if one other name that's come up in quite a bit of speculation and may may come to pass, may not come to pass, is Johnny Oduya from the Dallas Stars. That would be a guy that has two Stanley Cups under his belt. He won those with Chicago and now would have a chance to maybe make another run at it in Pittsburgh if that does happen. So... I, I like that when you bring in guys that are trying to get back to a level that they once were at. He's fresh off of an injury, so you know he's probably feeling pretty good. He missed a significant amount of time. So those are two guys who are veterans who would, who would add that hunger again to that locker room. But I, I don't think you're going to see Jim Rutherford go out and say, well, I've got to find a guy that's going to match Kevin Chattenkirk in terms of what he brings to the table, just because you, you don't want to start sacrificing assets in that situation to, to just get involved in an arms race, because you sometimes make deals and spite yourself. Look at the Penguins back in 2013. They acquired every big fish in the pond. It was Jerome McGinley, Brendan Morrow, Doug Murray, and they flame out in the conference final against the Boston Bruins, which unfortunately, Brian, you were a witness to along with Sean and I, so I don't want to bring that up because it's a tough memory. But at the same time, we know how it works out. You can't just throw a bunch of guys on a team and, and hope it works. You've got to get that right chemistry, all those things. So sometimes that works more effectively than just adding a big name. I actually just hung out with Douglas Murray on Monday of last week in Las Vegas. So great dude, by the way. Super great dude. The crankshaft. So my, so my third question, or, or really it's not a question, it's more of an observation, I guess, and you can t- give me your take on it. So the Kings got Ben Bishop. <clears throat> So obviously, you know, everybody's looking at is it going to be Bishop or Fleury that the Vegas team potentially is going to sign. So I guess with the Kings getting Bishop, that means in essence, and I doubt that the Kings are going to sign him long term, that Vegas, he's got his first option is for Vegas to sign Bishop now. So does that take the pressure off of the Penguins to have to move up Marc-Andre Fleury at the trade deadline now? Well, it's so strange because as of a week ago, everybody said, well, there's not enough teams out there that need goaltending. It's going to make the market very tough for Ben Bishop, for Marc-Andre Fleury. Well, suddenly, you see the Kings come out of the weeds with that trade. I don't know that it produced the assets that anybody thought you would have gotten, and maybe that's because Bishop's a rental and it worked out for them with John Quick. So I, I would hope that the Penguins would want to get a little bit more than maybe the Lightning did for Ben Bishop. But now the waters get even muddier because you hear this talk that Ryan Miller could be on the market. You hear Yarrow Halak could be on the market. So suddenly, there are all these other goaltenders that are now available. So teams that have been sitting there maybe trying to negotiate with Steve Eiserman prior to this deal or Jim Rutherford to pry away Marc-Andre Fleury, they've heard some offers that maybe they weren't happy with. They're going to turn their attention to those other guys that might come a lot cheaper. So I I don't know that the Penguins have pressure on them to deal Marc-Andre Fleury or that they did even before, other than the fact that 
it's a sad sight seeing him sit there wallowing on the bench because he's clearly not happy doing that. And it's something that they want to do right by the player. But at the same time, you got to do right by your team. And having him as a, an insurance policy works all that much better because we saw what happened as late as March 31st a year ago. He takes a James Neal shot to the mask, ruins his entire uh, season, and essentially changed the course of his career because Matt Murray steps in and wins the Stanley Cup. I'm not saying Mark andre Fleury could do that this year, but there's no reason to think that if he was given the opportunity to play regular minutes again, and that's a game-in and game-out situation, that he couldn't help this team go on another sustained and long playoff run. So those things are what they're debating more than what the landscape of the league has been, is just finding a way to, to do right by their team, but also not disrespect him and making him just sort of sit back and wallow. But either way, I think this will be his final season in Pittsburgh, be that uh, with going and getting him into the expansion draft with him waiving his no-movement clause to go there or for finding a taker for him after the season, which could still possibly happen before the uh, expansion draft takes place. And I, I know your feelings on this. You put him down pretty eloquently this week in your your column uh, in the newspaper, but uh, when, when Mark andre leaves Pittsburgh, it's going to be a sad time. I mean, I, to me, he's one of those players that's, not gutting very much of the credit for being a part of that core that pretty much reinvented the, the championship flavor in Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, obviously Crosby gets a lot of credit. Kessel comes in, he gets a lot of credit. Chris Letang. But Mark andre has been a solid guy throughout that whole thing. And they don't have that first cup without him. You think about that last second save he made uh, against Detroit there. And, and, you know, it's amazing how quickly... Uh, the the fans. I don't know that they've turned, but that they've embraced Matt Murray and kind of left the legacy of a, a still in his prime goalie behind. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch because when when the Penguins were able to draft Matt Murray, I think we all thought, well, this is an interesting scenario because of the way his junior hockey career went. He fell, uh, you know, he fell out of favor a little bit. His team, uh, the two Greyhounds, they ended up making a trade to bring in, I believe it was Jack Campbell at the time, a Dallas Stars draft pick, put him behind him. So he fell further in the draft than he probably would have, and the Penguins lucked out in getting him. He's been able to just become a very talented or a supreme player at every level. He did it at the American Hockey League in short order. He's now doing it at the NHL. So you can't blame, excuse me, you can't blame the Penguins for making the move that they did to put him out there and to, ha- and to ride him. I mean, because he's really just been a very... It's intriguing to look at his, his demeanor and the way he handles things. He, he lets everything roll off his back. He doesn't seem to get unhinged or, or get too worked up when he lets up even a bad goal. Now, people see him, and they compare it right away to Marc-Andre Fleury's tenure. Early on, when he was the younger player, the bad goals clearly got to him a little bit. And he let up a lot of them because he played on some pretty bad teams here in Pittsburgh. I think everybody starts looking at Mark andre Fleury in 2012. That's where a lot of the people say, well, he melted down against the Philadelphia Flyers. He was the worst player on the ice, you know, and they go on, et cetera, et cetera, from there. And that's very unfair to categorize his career based essentially on that playoff series. And then the next year when Thomas Bocoon comes in and essentially took his job after just four games against the New York Islanders, and that was probably a panic move by the Penguins. But generally speaking, it's going to be a very sad day when Mark andre moves on because of what you just said, Sean. He was essentially the first building block of this team. Going back to 03, the Penguins make the deal to acquire the first overall draft pick. They draft Mark andre Fleury, and at the time, Craig Patrick said, you build your team from the net out and up the middle, and that's exactly what they did here in Pittsburgh. They got Mark andre they got Brooks Orpik, they got Ryan Whitney and all those other defensemen. 
Then they worked on with Sidney Crosby, Jordan Saul, Kenny Malkin, built the team that way, and I think the proof is in the pudding. They go on to back-to-back Stanley Cups in 2008-2009. Marc-Andre Fleury was a huge contributor to both of those runs, and even these past couple of seasons, where the Penguins had faltered against the New York Rangers even before uh, two years ago, Fleury was their best playoff performer, I would say, in two consecutive seasons before having a really standout year for the club last year before his concussion. So I, I, it's, that's why in my column, Sean, I, I went with the people don't forget uh, mantra, I guess, because they don't. They, they, every mistake the kid has ever made going back to the World Junior Championship is always what's talked about, but nobody appreciates those good things. And I know that was a very long-winded way of getting to the point, but yes, it will be very sad when Marc-Andre Fleury moves on for a lot of the folks that were lucky enough to cover his entire career here in Pittsburgh because not only a very good hockey player, and I know he has his faults, but he's uh, an outstanding human being, and that's what's going to hurt the most because, as you know, just uh, it does, they don't come any friendlier than Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point because really he's not looked at like so many other goaltenders, even goaltenders who have not won a Stanley Cup in this league, whereas, I mean, the guy's a phenomenal goaltender. Why do you think it is he doesn't get the credit that he should be getting amongst everybody else outside of Pittsburgh? I, I really think it comes down to those those couple seasons. I mean, I, I know he's had plenty of bad goals over the course of his career, and, there's folks that have seen him lose a shutout in the final minute of a game. or he, He's always been known for maybe that one bad goal at the most inopportune time. And maybe that just started with that moment in the World Junior Championships. I've never really been able to put my finger on it. But at the same time, he's, and, well, this is one thing that blew my mind on Twitter the other day in regard to my column. Somebody attacked me and said, well, wins for a goaltender really mean nothing. Because <laughs> uh, that's a statistic that anybody can roll up if they're on a good team. Well, I watched Marc-Andre Fleury get a lot of those wins whenever the team wasn't all that good around, especially when they were just sort of growing into what they've become. He's also faced the, among the, uh, I think, the fifth most shots in the league since he came into the league. There's something to be said for that. Your save percentage isn't going to be great when you're playing in that situation, but at the end of the day, if you find ways to earn the victory, you've helped your team quite a bit. And no one's questioning Grant Fuhrer, I mean, for his numbers, it was the same kind of thing. He played on an offensive team, a run and gun, and I know it was a completely different era of the National Hockey League, but that's one guy that I've always thought of because I don't think he gets enough respect or credit because, yes, he may have allowed too many goals or a bad goal here or a bad goal there, but he always made that huge stop when he needed to in the game. He'd stop a breakaway or... Think of all the points Marc-Andre Fleury has earned this team in shootouts. He's become one of the best shootout goaltenders in the National Hockey League as well, and he, he adapted to doing that when the rules changed, and they implemented that in the National Hockey League. So I, I just I think that they look at that body of work against the Flyers, going into the Islanders the next season, and then a couple other ups and downs that he had, and they just completely build a narrative that Marc-Andre Fleury has never been good enough. And I, and I think I may have said this a few years ago, Sean, I uh, blame the Canadian media. They're going to attack me when I see a lot of my friends from up there next, because I say this all the time, send it to the guys at XM. They, I think, held that World Junior against Mark Andre, and to this day, if you hear Boomer Gordon on NHL Network Radio, he will still tell you Mark Andre Fleury is not among even the 10 best goaltenders in the league, the 12 best. He's always talking down, and I, I really think that Canadians are angry and couldn't get over it, and that helped build the narrative. And whenever Canada says it about hockey, a lot of people listen, and I think that's what happened to Mark Andre. And for those that aren't familiar, the World Juniors that, that Brian's talking about, Mark Andre, 
put in a goal in the gold medal game against the United States off of an American player when he was trying to clear it and clearly broke the hearts of the Canadians who thought they were going to win that tournament as they think they're going to win every world junior. Um, and uh, But, you know, for me, it, it a lot of it is, A, like that 2012 series when everybody blames him, there are a lot of players on that team that lost their composure and worse in that series. You know, like the, hey. cap, the captain was not uh, a paragon of virtue in that series. Another thing I think with Marc-Andre is, is his personality. I think in hockey, anytime you find a guy who's laid back and isn't going to break sticks and isn't going to come out of the locker room with tears in his eyes after they lose and is able to kind of process things on the ice and be the same person he is, win or lose, they don't care as much in the eyes of other people. And I, I think that's highly unfortunate because they're actually developed to the point where they understand what happened in that 200 by 100 arena is one thing what happens outside is another thing and they don't have to spill over into each other um and i think that's always been held against him is that he's not that serious you know jonathan tay's death stare kind of guy he's kind of a happy-go-lucky you know i did my best this is what i had and you know he's never cheated the people of pittsburgh but he's never he's never been a hangdog either when things don't go right for him no, no, you're exactly right. I mean, he uh, he's always wearing that smile, even now, whenever things have been so tough for him this season, where you know he's not satisfied being the backup goaltender. But at the same time, he's not rocked the boat. He's not done anything to try and make waves here. So I've always appreciated that, that he's been able to see the big picture. It's all about winning hockey games. And, uh, you know, I, I even – now, you guys have seen enough Alan Walsh on Twitter, too, his agent to know that everybody must have a high-level respect for Marc-Andre Fleury because I've seen Alan Walsh take to Twitter and make a little bit of waves for his clients, too, when they're not happy. And he's held off on doing that. Jim Rutherford's, I think, going and doing the right thing by Marc-Andre Fleury, and the player is just sit, uh, sat there and, and taking care of his business, gone out and played when he's been asked to do so. I know it's not been at a, as high a level as people would like. And that's the other thing now. He's put together a season's worth of statistics now that don't look good because – when he's gotten the chance to go out, he's not really been sharp. It's tough to, you know, uh, I guess replicate game action and practice. So he's he's really not been good in a lot of the games he's played in. But let's not forget, October, he carried the load for this team while they were really not playing good. Matt Murray was on the shelf with a hand injury, suffered at the World, uh, the World Cup of Hockey. And they got off to a nice start this year still thanks to Marc-Andre Fleury. And that's the kind of thing he's done for the entirety of his career. And I think that he has gotten a bad rap for what you just said, Sean, with that smile and that happy-go-lucky demeanor. And for one, I'll never forget him putting him forget him putting himself into a goaltending equipment bag just to leap out and scare his teammates. That's the kind of guy he has been, and that's the kind of teammate he'll be for his next team. And I think they're going to be very satisfied picking up a player like Mark Andre Fleury. With the wrap up our little conversation on Mark Andre Fleury, I'm going to put both of you guys on the spot. I want a one-word answer. Is Mark Andre Fleury still a Pittsburgh Penguin on Thursday morning? Brian? Uh, yes. Sean? Yes. I say yes as well. So, you know, you, Sean brought up an interesting name, and I wanted to bring this up because I'm, I'm, when, the, uh, when I, I was at the NHL All Star game for the weekend, which was a lot of fun. But I got into some surprisingly spirited conversations about the. NHL Top 100. And there was a name that I saw on there that I thought was should not have been on there. 
which led me into some really interesting arguments about another name that people saw on there that they, a lot of people said should not be on there. And that name was the one that you just brought up, Jonathan Taves. Like, these are people who are real hockey people who all said that Jonathan Taves is one of the most overrated players in NHL history and should not be part of the NHL Top 100. And I was like, well, but you can't, for me, you can't just measure statistics. There's a lot of other stuff that he brings to the table. Like, I mean, guys won three Stanley. He was a captain of three Stanley Cup teams. And I guess you could argue, well, Dustin Brown was captain of two. And he's not a great player either, per, per se. But I, I disagree. I think, I think Taze brings so many different ta tangible things to the ice uh, and certainly off the ice that I would absolutely put him in, in the top 100. What do you guys, what do you think, Brian? Well, I, I think for me, and this is going to make me sound like a homer, I was disappointed to see, and maybe the guy I would have taken off in place of the Jonathan Taves to keep him there would have been Duncan Keith. Yes. Because when I looked at, when I, when I looked at the Chicago Blackhawks putting in something like 19 players on the top 100 list, and that's going back out the old timers too, which is completely makes sense because they were an original six franchise. That's great. But I, I felt like one of those two guys got on at the expense of it of getting off. And his individual accomplishments, I felt, put him on the list ahead of maybe those guys. Because if you're doing a list of the top 100 players, I don't know the team accomplishments should have counted for as much as it clearly did for that group of players. So that's where I stood on it. But at the same time, I think Johnson Tate is a very talented player. He's a great leader, and I know that's cliche to say that. And you can see his offensive abilities there. He's great defensively. He can do all of these things for a team and has done it for the Chicago Blackhawks. He was probably a bigger reason for their turnaround over the years than Patrick Kane has been able to become or, or has been able to, to be or do. So I, I didn't have as big a problem with that. But I, I think the one, if I was going to look at that franchise for a player, it, it's Duncan Keith is the guy that I felt like maybe they tossed him a bone. He's a very talented defenseman. Probably going to be a Hall of Famer before Should not be in the top 100 at all. No, no, I, I, no. I can name 100 guys who should go on ahead of him. Well, when I, when, I look, when I look at it, you know, I think that he's not even the best defenseman for that, team. for that franchise. I agree. You know, I, I mean, and people forget this. Pierre Pallot was a pretty good defenseman back in the day, you know, multiple Norris trophies. But I think when you look at this list as a whole and, and you say, you know, 17 – the Blackhawks, a lot of those Blackhawks ended up playing for other teams. Um, it's funny when you watch some of the 100 uh, pictures that they tried to do team-wise, like they did uh, this weekend at the outdoor game in, in Pittsburgh. Lucky Luke Robitaille got in that Pittsburgh picture. How long was he, uh, <laughs> he a penguin, right? So people, a long out season, that's about it. Yeah, so people claim whatever they can claim, but... Um, I think when you look at that list as a whole, and it was voted on by a number of different people from all walks of uh, hockey, you know, it wasn't just a league list, there were reporters involved in it, there were other people involved in it. I think the one thing that took precedence over almost everything else was winning, and hockey's that way. Like, when you have conversations about hockey players, the best ones are the ones that win. Like, if your numbers are anywhere close, it's always who won, who didn't win, who was never a winner. And, and, and you know, like, to me, the only guy that even comes close to breaking that mold and he had to win very late in his career was Ray Bork. I mean, if Ray Bork had never won that one cup, would he be a guy that we're talking about now as not as good a defenseman as he ended up being because he could never get over the hump? And I understand where it comes from because I grew up in hockey, but it's really hard to argue about the merits of a guy like that. Like, is Bobby Orr not the best defenseman in the league if he doesn't win two cups with the – with the Boston Bruins, 
Of course he is. And again, you know, you go back to the Mark Andre statistic in that, you know, wins is a team thing. Well, if you're going to make that argument, losses are a team thing too. Whether you're the goalie, the number one center, or the number one D, if you don't have guys around you to win championships, it doesn't matter how good you are individually, you're never going to be recognized for it. So, you know, I, I again, I just think that championships were so important. And, and Duncan Keith is one. He's one regularly. And... You know, you say he's not the best defenseman on that team. I think he is the best defenseman. I on like that Brent team. Siebert, but I mean, look, if I, I like put, Brent too, if, but he's not gonna, better than. Gonna, I mean, I will argue hands down, Drew Doughty is a far superior defenseman to Duncan Keith. I mean, look, Duncan Keith is a great player, and he certainly was the cornerstone of those three Stanley Cups on defense. But they had four or five really good defensemen on that team, and I mean. There's a lot of guys that get named above him. But anyway, I mean, it is what it is. But he still played 26, 27 minutes a game every playoff game, no matter how good their defense were. I mean, his fu- coach that's, that's fine, but, on him but they're, exclusively. But we're talking about the 100 greatest players I, I of all think, time. I, 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 think the, I think the playoff run that Keith essentially played, whenever uh, Joel Quenville was using four guys every night, is probably what solidified his legacy and, and made him go down as maybe an all-time great because a lot of guys would have crumbled in that situation whenever they were at, leaned on and Seabrook did it too but Duncan Keith was the guy I think during that run and they had essentially four defensemen going out there every single shift with the other guys playing maybe five and six minutes that's when Nick Letty was still there and they didn't have faith in him so it, 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 it is very subjective and boy oh boy if we didn't have these lists what will we do because uh, it's barroom banter brought to the masses <laughs> on a very high level and it's been Could- great I think can you imagine if the list was actually numbered? Oh god, yeah. There, there would have been anarchy at this point. Yeah, there'd be there'd be yeah, there'd be a civil war. Well, hey, look, they got 99 of them, right? So that you know, that's pretty impressive right, right So there. for you, Malkin's the 100? Uh yeah, I would put Malkin in there for, Over for sure. Over Dowdy? Uh yeah, I mean, I mean, look, Dowdy will eventually be on there. He's probably a little too young at this point. He's only 27. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, certainly, in, if they do this again in five years, then you know, you've got to put him well, on. Well, Malkin, they do it again in five years. Malkin's 101. And Dowdy's probably 102. Maybe Carlson's in there. Um, well, no, I think it's, you got to take out Duncan Keith. You can't, you can't just leave him in there forever. Well, I don't. Because I mean, in three how, years, how much the, do you guys? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, how much do you guys think, depending on the club you came from or, or the franchise you came from? Okay, so you you already put in this amount of guys. The problem I think with Evgeny Malkin is that. Everybody is always going to look at the Penguins and say, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Yarmir Yager. And then Gino's right there in terms of being, you know, at least what he's been able to accomplish, scoring titles, couple cops now, all of this. But he automatically falls to like fifth or sixth on his own team's depth chart in the annals of history. So people are like, we can't possibly be one of the best 100 in all time. I mean, it's almost like he's placed unfairly against that sort of scope when you're trying to judge it. And nobody, everyone's going to pale in comparison. And see, Jonathan Taves played on the Penguins, and there was Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, I mean, uh, Mary LeBue, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing may have happened to him. I'd... That's possible. I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know if there was any criteria or, you know, I obviously have no idea if there's, 
you know, set numbers of players. I'm guessing whoever the 50 people or however many voted, yeah. whatever the votes were. The yeah, votes I don't were. think there was a set number. I, I just again, and I think in the other thing, people. Well, is it like the All Star game where each team has to have one guy? No, 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 no. But, it was just a perception in my mind. Yeah, no, for sure. And the, yeah. the other thing, people forgot in this argument, and they went crazy over it, is that this is an NHL 100. This is what players have done in the NHL. There were 40 players that could have been on this list if you counted. You know, oh, the Russians and uh, everything else. Yeah, right? and you counted what they did internationally, and it wasn't. It was a straight, this is what they've done in the NHL. It wasn't even the WHA for some of those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, it was what they did in the NHL, and that was all that could be considered. So, you know, I, I thought, because we're still talking about it and it's almost a month later, <laughs> I, I thought it was a great exercise, and so many people had so much fun with it, either doing their franchises or doing their own lists and then having arguments like this. I think anytime you, you try and rate people, you know, you're going to you're going to elicit uh, a variety of opinions because people judge athletes on different criteria. Like I'm gonna say the best football player that I ever played is Tom Brady. Brian Slagle is going to say something different. Brian Metzger, because of the way he grew up, is going to say something different. And that's fine. It's what it is. But that you can have these arguments, and as long as they're intelligent, I think they're great. Every time I argue with you, I learn something new. Um, and every time I argue with Brian in the various watering holes in Pittsburgh, I learn something new. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's great. But I, I think if you're of Jenny Malkin, and I think he handled it, as well as anybody can, saying, I guess I'm 101. <laughs> like, that's perfect. That's the way you handle it, right? There's there's 100 guys there, and they're all legitimate. Maybe you're legitimate too, but it's not the top 101 in hockey. So I thought he handled it great, and I do think when they revisit this, whether it's at the 150th anniversary or the 200th anniversary when we're all up in heaven listening to heavy music and watching hockey. You think the planet's going to survive that long? He'll, uh, he'll be on Are that list. See, we'll be at a D.O. when we're at the next D.O. show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Crazy. So what do you think? Uh, so obviously, you know, we're gearing up for the Stanley Cup. Uh... I mean, you think the pay. I mean, obviously, I know what you're going to say, but I, sh I should ask it anyway. Like, how confident are you that the Penguins can 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 win another cup this year? Well, I'm, I'm very confident that they can. Do I believe they're going to? Is a different thing. I mean, it, that's what's so hard because you see that they have the pieces, they have the everything they need. I mean, they have the scoring, they have a team that can play great defensively when needed or when they need to. Even though they've not always shown that this season, they've actually been very uncharacteristic in the scoring chances that they've allowed in, in a number of these games. But if they can come together at all the way that they did last year, and that's getting back to playing that speed game, going out finding ways to um, limit opportunities for their opposition and, and have and give Matt Murray a chance to make the saves, I think they have as good a chance as anybody in the Eastern Conference to make another run at it, especially when you look at the West. I mean, the West in general – doesn't have a team that looks like it's going to run ripshot over any team in the Eastern Conference right now, just based on what we've seen. And I guess the biggest issue is you got to get through that Metropolitan Division portion of the playoffs. And right now, any of the teams that meet in the first or second round, you're going to see some heartbreaks. It's going to be the Penguins or the Cats or someone like that going home. And that's what makes it a lot of fun because you. I know people are upset that that should be a conference final. 
I, I argue that it's just it creates great fun and great intrigue every single night from the earliest moment of the playoffs, and that's going to be a blast. No, I, I, the Penguins need a, need a little bit of a boost here. They need a little kick. They've got to get healthy before we can really say they're favorites again, based especially on what we've seen or what we're going to see coming out of this deadline. But I, I do feel like they have the horses to make another run at it. It's just a matter of everything coalescing the way that it did last year for them. And you guys know that doesn't happen every year. I mean, only one team in the last 20 years has won back-to-back Stanley Cups, and that's the Detroit Red Wings, even though others have been able to do it three and four years or things like that. It's just not easy to do. I mean, it's a very, very hard playoff, the hardest in professional sports. So I, I'm not going to be shocked if the Penguins don't win it this year, but I won't be surprised if they will. Well, and I think when you look at them, the two things I look at is they have the best player in the Metropolitan Division. I don't think there's any argument about that. If, you, if you're going to be in a seven-game series, I think your best players need to be the difference makers. And I think, you know, especially with the way Sidney Crosby's playing this year, there's no question he's the best player out of all those teams that are going to battle for it. I think, you know, unless Columbus figures something out pretty quick, you throw them right out of this equation because they've not been a good team since they won, what was it, 16 Well, the last row. two nights they have been. The last two, two nights games, they have been, yeah. but they played against the Islanders. I mean, well, the, the Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The At Rangers. home? Yeah, sure. Um, and then, and then you know, the other thing is the Penguins have done what they've done and they're five points behind the Capitals and they've been racked with injuries. You know, if they can get healthy, if Latang comes back, if Schultz comes back, um, you know, and, and then some of those depth forwards like you talked about uh, come back, um, I think they have a really good chance. The one thing I think they need to do is they need to figure out what they're going to do with Chris Kunitz and how they're going to carry him as a top six forward when he's not delivering as a top six forward. It seems to me that that, you know, you talked about them making a depth move at forward. Um, I might almost make a top six move at forward and move Chris down the lineup and and try and space things out that way. Um, but, you know, for all the great things that he's done for the team, I, I think he's had a really tough year. You know what's interesting about it is that he, when they were healthy, right towards the uh, time when Sherry went out and Brian Russ went out, he was a very effective member of a fourth line that featured Eric Fair and Scott Wilson. That line was very hard to play against. They played with a little bit of jam. They played with a little bit of speed. He was hitting like we always know Chris Coons can do. He always throws his body around. And he was chipping in some goals because they would work it down low and get that cycle going. And that's what you need because you can grind some opponents down when you play that way. So I think that when they get healthy, there's a chance that he just slides right back down to the fourth line anyway. And that, of course, is one of the rumors that you hear is that Jim Upper was kicking the tires on a top six forward. You know, for weeks we've been hearing Matthew Shane's name here, even though I think that Joe Sackick would love to have the world for him. And I don't know that the Penguins can make that deal without hurting their NHL roster this season. That's probably more of a draft day trade. So... I don't know that a top six forward's going to come in, and maybe they look at one of the rental guys and say that you know he can be an answer to come in and score goals because he did a boost playing with Sidney Crosby or Kenny Malkin. But I think before this is done, Sean, I agree, uh, Chris Kunitz would slide down and maybe get back into playing in a third or fourth line role because that's when he's been his most effective this season. Yeah, he's for 58 years old. He's going to have to like lower his ice time. But for me, <clears throat> I, I think... That, Arp cards for everyone. Yeah, I think uh, for me... The only way the Penguins are going to win the Stanley Cup is not whether Crosby's – it's not Crosby, it's not Malkin, it's not Fleury, it's not Matt Murray. 
The one guy that they cannot win a Stanley Cup without, in my opinion, is Chris Letang. Because he is the best defenseman in that role, that quarterback, rover, offensive role, especially those guys by far in the league. And without him, they can't win. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, He's I invaluable think you guys are spot on. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean... Yes. Sorry, I knew you had a thought. I didn't want to cut you off there. <laughs> no, no, that, that was the only thought I have is I agree wholeheartedly. What I want to hear from Brian now, though, because he's been such a West Coast hockey uh, proponent. I was going to say snob, but that would be unfair. <laughs> proponent for so Come many on. years is uh, <laughs> what he thinks about those teams out West now. You're, you're, well, you're I, king. I, men- I, mentioned it er- I mentioned it earlier tonight. The balance of power this no, year has clearly switched to the East. And, you know, it's really from... From the West, I mean, the Blackhawks are not as strong as they used to be. Minnesota is much stronger now, but of course, there's always going to be questions. I mean, I think Bruce Bordeaux is a phenomenal coach, and I think maybe this is the year that they that they do put it all together and, and can go through. But yeah, the Kings and the Ducks made, you know, the the problem I have with those two teams <clears throat> are that the a couple of things. First of all, Connor McDavid has changed the league. Like when the Kings were winning Stanley Cups, it was big and bulky. You had the big, heavy teams and big, tough, heavy defensive teams. Connor McDavid's blown that out of the water. You cannot now play the style the Kings do because you can't you can't keep up with them. Like you can't keep up. When I look at Milan Lucic, who played with the Kings last year and was very successful with the Kings last year. He's playing in Edmonton. He cannot keep up with with Connor McDavid. I've seen them seven times. He literally McDavid will make a play and he'll be ready to. Throw the puck in front for Lucic, and he's like not even across the blue line yet. So, but that team has played so much speed, and that's I mean the Penguins won with speed, and now with with guys like McDavid and what's happening in Toronto, the league the league has shifted, and the way the style of play has shifted, and unfortunately for the Ducks and the Kings, like they're kind of the old the old guard of the big tough, you know heavy teams to play against, and you you can't they don't have enough speed to compete with those teams. Plus, for the for both of those teams, they've uh, in my opinion, the GMs have not made a lot of great moves on the bottom six forwards. Like both of those teams, I mean, look, the Kings were the first team that really won with four lines. And that kind of became, you had to have four lines. When you got a guy like Mike Richards on your fourth line, Kings had four solid lines. You can't stop all of them. But now those bottom six forwards are all gone. They either traded them or lost them. And the same thing with the Ducks. The Ducks lost, I mean, Palmieri and Perot and, you know, uh, you go on and on. The, King, the, the Ducks lost six guys who were really solid, you know, second, third, fourth line guys. And now they just don't have anything left. So you're talking about two lines for, for them and one line for the Kings. And that's easy to shut down. So they just haven't really kept up with everybody else. And the speed game has changed. So they're just not nearly as good as they used to be. I think, you know, I mean, honestly, it would not surprise me in the least if the Oilers got to the conference finals in the West. Really? I was just going to ask you if they got, if they'd win, if they could win one round this year. I mean, look, if they're healthy and if Cam Talbot can be decent, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, that team, I mean, that team's scary. The speed on that team is scary. Same with the Leafs. I mean, the Leafs. But with both those teams, what, what concerns me the most, I think, is their depth of defense. You're playing better teams, so your matchups become that much more difficult. The matchups are key. Like if, and, if, and Look, if the Oilers play the Ducks in the first round, I can easily see the Oilers beating the Ducks. 
Yeah, uh, and we saw them right before I was up with you, right before the All-Star game. Yep. We went up to see uh, the Violent Gentleman guys to yep, yep. do the slap shot thing, which was awesome. Sat down with Steve Carlson for a while. My story just ran this weekend. It was fantastic. Almost 4,000 words on the life of Steve Carlson since the movie Slapshot, <laughs> which is 40 years old this week, which is unbelievable. But we saw them play, and the the Oilers skated circles around him. Now, with that said, I think in a long series, you take some of that speed away if you're the Ducks. Sure. In one game, you can't catch him. In a long series, you let Ryan Kessler sure. catch Connor McDavid sure. after every whistle and give him a little whack, a little slash. By game four, game five, he's he's in second gear instead of fourth gear. Yeah, look, I mean, the, both the Leafs and the Oilers are intriguing teams because they're, to me, the, the two most fun teams to watch in, the, in this league, but they're super young. So yeah, when they get the playoffs and they come up against a game six or a game seven, yeah. how do they react? And their defense is super untested. I mean, if you look at the Leafs right now, their best defenseman is Zaitsev. Yeah. <laughs> right? And nobody knows who he is. I just had to think of what his first name was. <laughs> and he's their best defenseman. And what's he going to do and a big series against a team that goes a couple of lines deep where you but, can but again, no depend, longer dictate it, sure. who he plays also, against. Also depends on the matchup. If they play the Senators in the first round, I mean, look, if they get to play the Senators and the Bruins or the Senators and the Canadians, I mean, see, it's conceivable they could get out of those two rounds. Well, I think they're in the, the, that's in a in much Atlantic, weaker, yes. Yeah, much weaker. But then they're going to have to go up against the Penguins or the Caps more than likely. That, there's no way. And if they slide that. down to the wild card, they're going up against well, yeah, the Penguins or the Caps. Then they're the screwed. Yeah, then they're really screwed. But the so. same thing in Edmonton. When you look at Edmonton, like Larson is is their guy. Yeah, and he's out now too. Then he's out now, but. What's behind that, right? And I think if you're a really good coach, because that's what the problem becomes, is once you get, especially into the second round of the playoffs, you're talking about the lead of the league. Coaches know how to expose matchups, and they know, and they have the tools to do it, because those teams are the three and four line teams. You can get away in the regular season, win three out of four games, because you're, you're facing tired teams, you're facing teams that only go one or two lines deep. And you can dictate what the matchups are in the playoffs when when a very elite coach, and I think that both the coaches of the Ducks, I mean of the Oilers and the Leafs, well, are, clearly, are, yeah. are elite. Absolutely. And that's, that's an advantage they will have in the playoffs. But I think when you have that long series, you can figure out what their weakness is and make them play to it. And, and I think... Those teams have bigger weaknesses. They have bigger strengths because they have Connor McDavid and and, and they have um, Austin Matthews and, and the kind of the cast that surrounds him. But they have bigger weaknesses than I think any other playoff team is going to have because they probably only go too deep on the blue line in each case. What do you think, Brian? No, I I think that's what's so neat about the Stanley Cup playoffs because if you don't have the depth. And you're used to saying, okay, we're a one-line team or we're a two-line team or you're going to ride one big defenseman. It's so easy to expose that when you get into playing the same team night in and night out if you have a wily coach behind the bench. Because that's if you can play your matchups and you can get your stars against maybe that third or fourth line that's made up of AHLers, you're doomed. I mean, you're going to just run over that team and win a series with relative ease. And that's, that's what makes it hard to go and get those 16 victories. So the West, in my mind, for all the reasons you guys just talked about, it's going to be wide open. It's going to be fun to see if the other players get themselves in there and make a run at this. I think that the Ducks will wake up a little bit when it comes playoff time. You know that the Kings are very capable of doing it come playoff time. How many years have any of those teams been dead in the water, potentially, at this time of the year, 
deep up in March, and then the next thing you know, they're having a Stanley Cup parade two months later. So well, that, that was both times the Kings won. <laughs> the Kings have won out of the eight seed. So you know, and the other yeah. thing that I that I find really humorous about the playoffs this year is I think the roles are completely reversed, and they've been in the last five years. The only reason that you gave the East the chance in the last couple of years is because whoever came out of the West was just a beaten shell of itself because it's gone through three meat grinder series. I think that's going to be the East this time, and I think the West is a little bit more wide open. I mean, the Ducks still play that heavy game, and the Kings still play that heavy game, but, you know, the Sharks want to skate, the the, the Oilers want to skate, the Flames want to skate, like, there's not, Chicago wants to skate, like, there's not as much of that, we're going to run you through the walls type of play. That's kind of move to the east a little bit more and I think those are going to be the meat grinders that you go through look it's conceivable that whoever gets out of the east is going to have to beat Washington or Pittsburgh Columbus Montreal like it's a pretty good gauntlet that you're going to have to go through to win the east and injuries they're going to play as they always do a huge role because really the Kings when they won that first cup in 2012 I mean they got so lucky that Every team they played against, their key guys were out. Like Peter Angelo was out for the Blues, and so was I think Elliot. And uh, you know, every every round, the other team was missing a key guys. The Kings were healthy, so it also as it, like the NFL. Like if you're not healthy, you're, you're not you're not going to win. And I'm going to give you my one dark horse in the West. All right, Nashville. Watch out for Nashville. Oh, please, I predicted them to not even make the playoffs, which Watch they out. probably won't. I'm telling it's you. funny I, when I, I did. I don't know. I don't know, Sean. I'm with Brian. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Nashville? Yeah, yep. not, not going to happen. Not going to happen. They're not, they're not going to make it. Nashville, Pittsburgh final. How great would that be? It's ne- never in a million years. <laughs> go go bet 20 bucks on that in Vegas. Places you can go. Yeah, he, he, Sean wants that just because that would be the, the most fun he's ever had on both ends of the Ah, I see. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. Like, like, where would the, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, look, I'm not a massive fan of, of Pittsburgh, but, you know, it's all right for a few days. There's, like, between Sean and uh, Pierre and, and Scotty, uh, I found a few decent places out there to, to go to go hang out. But, uh, well, of course yeah. you get to see me. Well, yeah, of course. Well, but, see, I'm, but you have to understand <laughs> that I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, bit, a mess because obviously the Penguins have always been my favorite team. However, now you know I'm, I'm become really good friends with a lot of guys who work for the Caps. So, which I know is a bad word for you, but I was like, eh, be, you know, I wouldn't be a bad, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing those guys actually, uh, actually do something this year. But you know, we'll see. Now that's a good uh, town too. I, I can live with that. Yeah, Washington's all right. I just, I just hope I it's not. I hung up on you, but I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just hope it's not Minnesota. Like I, I hate that city. I'm sorry, people in Minnesota. But yeah, not not a big fan. But they could they could go to the finals. I spent some good times in Minnesota. I think you both know and have known me long enough that I can find a good time almost anywhere. Yeah. We would have to go someplace pretty far off the beaten path before You're, I'd be defeated. I spent enough time in, in up there that yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I might go up for a day. But we'll have to see. Well, they'd have to they'd have to play somebody good in the east then. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. John has like that break glass for a good time. He always has it right in his bag. He's good to go. Well, see, I'm on this run now. Like at the last five years, I've been to at least two Stanley Cup Finals games. So I'm going to have to continue my tradition here. Well, you know what? I mean, if it happens for either of those cities, I know you're going to have fun. And, and that, that crew down at the Caps, I can understand why you why you like them. There's some good folks down there. So I'll let you slide. And 
Hopefully we get you here though, Blake. This yeah, is I mean, look. Either way is good. I, the guy, they, you got, guys both play tons of heavy metal at the at the game, so I'm I'm super happy about that. So speaking of metal, what are you listening to lately, Brian? You're you're a, you're a big metal dude. Yeah, but you know what? And people, and it's funny. People think I'm just being sort of stroking uh, your ego here, but Downfall Gaia is one of my new favorite bands, even though they're not new. Oh, They've awesome. been around for how how long now? But I mean, I just discovered them based on the new album you released, and. Uh, I like them. I think they're really good because they have that black metal vibe that I've been in lately. Because I've been going back and listening to my old Emperor catalog. I've been listening to that for some reason. Just I don't know if it got into that mode in my mind. That we never really had winter here, so I was bringing my own version of it from Norway. So I've been listening to that, and then I was going back and listening to a lot of old Bertram for some reason, and then uh, just going with my old trash favorites too. The new Metallica for for one is awesome. Yep. So uh, a little a little later today, when you have a meeting, be sure to say Pittsburgh loves that. All right. Uh, because we're we're uh, we're loving it here in town, and we've been trying to bake it into the to the game entertainment too. I know Vinny's been playing it at the game a little bit, oh, yeah. not as much as I would like. But that's on my list. The New Testament's on my list, and uh, I'll always go back and, and listen to uh, just the Big Four in general because my tear dropped today when I saw Flair Behemoth. And Lamb of God with no Pittsburgh date, so I've got to bring that to myself too. With yeah. those, with those Dude, come out to New York. We'll go. They're yeah. playing the theater at the Garden, man. It'll be awesome in July. Well, neither one of us will have anything to do. Uh, yeah, that would be tremendous, man. I gotta, yeah, I gotta figure that out. I gotta find a date that'll work because I was really crushed that it's not coming near here. Especially because I've not seen Behemoth since everybody's live screaming and healthy. I mean, the last time I, think oh, wow. I saw them would have been on. Um, they were at. At, here in Pittsburgh over at Mr. Smalls, and Nurgle was tearing up a Bible in the old church. That was kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, is Metallica playing at Pittsburgh? No, they uh, blew me off as well, and I take it personally. It's just, I say me. I, I thought for sure with the wide open slate of dates at Heinz Field, they would have brought in that stadium floor through, but nope, we didn't get that either. Well, they'll eventually get there. I mean, you know, they'll, they're, this is a long run, and I think whatever, wherever they don't play this summer in stadiums, I'm sure they'll come back around, and, and I'm sure they'll, they'll do some sort of arena run towards the end. I mean, they, they won't, they won't miss any major cities on this, on this tour. They, they rarely ever do that, so. Yeah, they, they haven't been here since Shane Anger. Really? Really? Yeah. That's yeah. odd. They played, they played, they, I don't even think they've ever, yeah, they've never been at uh, Consult slash PPG Paints Arena. Last I saw them was over at Mellon Arena on St. Anger. I, and, uh, well, then that's not the last I saw them. I went up to Yankee Stadium for the Big Four. Yeah, yeah. Last time I saw them. But uh, beyond that, yeah, I haven't seen Metallica here in Pittsburgh in quite right. a while. And Dude, how was well, the... How I'll, was, I'll, 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 stick, I'll stick a little bird in one of their ears and uh, see if we can help out there. How was the sound at Mel? How was the sound at Mellon Arena when they played? It must have been awesome because that's what that thing was built for originally, right? Oh yeah, they were they were excellent there. I mean, the one I saw them the first time there on the Black Album in the round. I was probably 16 years old, and Newstead was still with them, and he handed me a beer because I somehow got myself up to the rail, and then some big guy tore it out of my hands because I was 16, and I'm thinking, boy, I have to go to school at Central Catholic tomorrow. Should I drink this? And, you shouldn't have uh, even so been I, at the concert. I, yeah, so I got screwed with the beer. But then um, that the second time I saw them there was on the on the uh, same anger, and it was awesome. They 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 always sound good. Those guys for metal guys, because you know it gets a little sloppy depending on the band. It's not always as tight as you'd like. It's tight as hell with Metallica. They sound excellent in anything, but it was awesome at Hell Arena. 
Yeah, they're all they're always great live, and they have uh, the best sound guy in the entire world, Big Mick, who uh, always makes them sound amazing. So, do you have a favorite all-time concert, or is that just impossible? Um, I would say, well, that 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 show at Melon uh, on the on the Black Tour was right up there, just because of the whole New State beer experience. But they sounded awesome too. Uh, I would say, and it's, I always go back to this. There's, there's two that stand out, and I've seen countless shows that you guys know, just like you. I mean, not, not, not as many as you, Brian. I mean, <laughs> you see like three a week. But uh, I saw my first concert ever here in Pittsburgh with the Cecilia Moss, and it was Slayer with Testament opening on the Seasons in the Abyss tour. And it's always been a standout, even though I've seen Slayer countless times since then. But that one always stood out, probably because it was my first show, and they were excellent, they were tight. Hanneman, King, Tom, they're all tearing it up. Lombardo's still in the band. And then um, just a few years ago, one of my favorite shows, and I just think because it was three bands that I are underappreciated at times, but I really thought they were all sort of at the top of their powers, at least here in the modern era. It was Anthrax touring worship music right after the Big Four. They were at Stage AE here in town with Testament and Death Angel opening. Oh, oh yeah. From top to bottom, all three of those bands were tight as can be, it was it was a great set list. I heard tons of stuff I wanted to hear, and it just uh, that's one show that still resonates with me for some reason. That when I'm asked, that one jumps to the front of the line as just three of my favorite bands playing uh, great sets, and uh, it's not a, not a mistake to be had. And the only thing that I, w- I would change, and I probably wouldn't, because it was only one of the first times recently he did it, is when Scott Ian. I just want to just play Indians, just play it through. You don't have to stop it every time, Scotty. <laughs> stops it every time now because the war dance isn't up to par, and it's always up to par. It's just become a shtick now. But that was one of the first times he did it here in town recently, so it was okay. So I'll let it fly. And I honestly, I honestly think that Anthrax is much better live now than they back were in the eighties and nineties. I, I, I find them way better now. All those old bands, it's unbelievable. Like Testament, Overkill <clears throat> yep. is is fantastic now. Um, Exodus, like about fifty albums now. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I think this is eight, eighteen for Overkill. Eighteen studio albums. Is it that the many? new one Holy that cow. just came out. Wow, um, it's impressive. But they all those bands sound so tight, and and we just saw on uh, when we saw Monomoth the last time in Newark, uh, Megadeth was the yep. headliner. Tight as can be, like, and I, oh, I kind of went back and forth on Megadeth, and after I remember, I told you I think I'm going to leave, and then I ended up staying. Yep, yep. And now I'm like, I got to listen to more of this because they were so unbelievable, and I had heard all the horror stories about Dave and everything else. Great stage presence. They were so tight. Uh, that was one of the Adler that was one, from uh, Lamb of God. He wasn't on there. He wasn't playing there. He was playing drums then, wasn't no. he? No, it's a guy from um, what's the name of that band? No, it's, it wasn't Chris. Uh, uh, it's one of those like radio heavy bands. He's a good drummer, but yeah, it wasn't Chris. Oh, I thought it was for nope. sure. Nope, definitely not. Yeah, Adler's right. on the new album, but he's, he's on the new album. But he did, he did the first right tour, now. so but he couldn't do any more than that. But they were great. But you know, that was that was one of the best shows I've seen Dave do in a long time. I mean, he was spot on yeah. like, vocally and everything that night. So yeah, he no, saw, that was he saw so 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 tight. But for me, 
right down the street when I saw Rammstein here. Oh yeah. When well. they came and they they played those couple of stadium dates. I mm -hmm. mean arena dates, which oh, yeah. they never can do because of their pyro. They're only coming once this summer. They're playing Jones Beach. Yeah, I know. I mean, um, I'll be there. Yeah, but that I mean, show they, was unbelievable. I mean, they are my, f I, you know, I mean, look, I love Metallica and Iron Maiden, my all-time favorite band. But still, the best live show I've still ever seen is Rammstein. I mean, it's just they just do stuff that you just how how on earth does that even happen? It's just insane. No, when they they lit the guy on fire with the flamethrower, oh, and, and you're like, how can they do that in a building in America with the rules we have now? Um, but they were able to pull it off. And I was all the way at the other end of the arena, and when they let their pyro off, it got warm where I was. Oh, yeah. And that's across a whole <laughs> hockey, basketball oh, court. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine being on stage. One wrong move there, you're in a the whole world of hurt. Well, you know, they, they, well, aren't they wearing, like, like, those big, like, suits and things, too? Like, because I haven't had the chance to see them, but it looks like in videos that they, they've got to be roasting, because not only is all the flame around them, but they're... They're wearing like the big like getup, like it's like an asbestos suit or whatever. He set himself. They're on all fire. like, yeah, but they're all like crazy fitness guys. I mean, the singer was at, was part of the East German Olympic team, so they're all into all, all that sort of stuff. But you know, th there's a different type of fire though. Now it's it's much it's much less likely that you're gonna get. It's not like the old where James Hetfield like had his arm burned off. Like if you walk through a flame now, because I like a few years ago I was watching Killswitch Engage. They were out on the on Mayhem tour, and they had a bunch of flames behind the stage. There was a walkway, but there were also flames. And at one point, I'm sitting with the two with their two managers, and Howard, the singer at the time, like walks up to the catwalk behind the stage and starts walking across. And all of a sudden, these flames come out. And he's like literally in the middle of it, like, "Oh my god!" And he just walked off stage. And I guess the new the new way they have these these flames is still it's still a flame, but it's not a. It's not a flammable flame, if that makes any sense. Like it's not going to just catch on fire on on anything. Yeah. That unless you try it. So I guess that's part of the part of the deal where you know you you can get away with you know being in the wrong place at the wrong time maybe once. But yeah. But not, not like Michael Jackson back in the day. No. Well, I know. I mean, it's caught on fire. Yeah. Well, then you know, like I said, Headfield. I mean, in the it's only been I think in the last like ten years they've developed this new this new stuff that's much less. Much less flammable flames, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Perfect sense. If you're close to the stage, though, you still feel the you still feel. Oh the yeah. Heat no, it's hot. I mean, it's definitely not fake. <laughs> it's it's real. <laughs> so uh, so this is going to take a while. So I bet I better ask you now. So where on the thousands of platforms that you are available can people see uh, your work? Um, well, the easiest thing is look me up on Twitter at Brian underscore Metzer because I tweet out pretty much everything I do. But can you so can you get rid of that underscore? Who's got the other Brian no, Metzer? There's, there's another Brian Metzer. And but who is he? I don't even know. But yeah, the Brian Metzer that's one word. Slagle, Slagle's got it out for he's got it out for the underscores. I have an underscore too. Well, and see, he's got it out. I just know, like you know, it used to be like ah, somebody else got it before me. But now it's like I mean, we've had bands and everything. We you always go and you, I mean, unless unless like the other Brian Metzer is like a you know guy with twenty thousand followers. He's got like three hundred followers. I call him up and say, "Hey, man, do you mind if we switch or something?" Or there's ways well, to there's do a that. Guy, uh, there's, there's also a guy in Ohio that lives, you know, probably a couple hours outside of here. His name Brian Metzer, who's like an evangelist. So I've gotten no. confused with him a couple of times, which hasn't been good. <laughs> <but>, um, Whoops. <laughs> so that's been funny, but uh, yeah. So unfortunately, the underscore is there for now, and anyway, right. at some point I'll have to change it. But um, so you can do that. I am on the Penguins Radio Network. I do the intermission reports for the game broadcast with Mike Lang and Phil Bork, which is a blast. 
Love working with those guys. And you can hear me on Saturday mornings on 105.9 X here in Pittsburgh as well. We do a Penguins weekly recap show. Then I write for the Beaver County Times, pretty much their main Penguins coverage. So that's timesonline.com. We do a podcast there and a bunch of other things. And then, of course, NHL.com weekly. I do a uh, fantasy defenseman and occasionally get involved with some other fantasy hockey coverage with the group over there. I've been doing that for about five years, too. So overall, covering hockey here in town for 10 years now and having a blast and got to meet a bunch of great guys like you and get to do this. So it's been awesome. Uh, a lot of a lot of cool things thanks to the to the Penguins and the National Hockey League. Awesome. Well, real quick, because I've only got two minutes left here and then i got to take a call. But... Um... I am a worshiper of Mike Lang. I think he's one of the best broadcasters ever. Why did they take him off of TV and put him on radio? It deprives me of, see- of hearing Mike Lang. Uh, I think what happened ultimately was that the management at the television rights holder here locally started to just have an issue with the way he was doing things. You had Ugh. some other people in the back that wanted to maybe lobby for jobs, and you saw Paul Sagerwald get elevated to that role, and Mike Lang, the moment that TV let him go, was sucked up by the Penguins Radio Network two days later, and they essentially made a radio network just because they were able to get Mike Lang, um, even though they, they had some other guys that were doing it. So, yeah, that's it, it was a long, convoluted thing. It wasn't very fun for anybody that was involved, and I, I think there's still a little bit of an icy relationship between some of the parties that are involved yeah. in that, but Mike yeah. Lang is live and screaming. I love him. Hey, do me, do me, a, do me a favor. And one of these times I'm in Pittsburgh, just let me shake his hand once. That would be amazing. Okay, yeah, we'll try and work that out. That's not a problem. Cool. You know, you can always watch the game and listen to the radio call. On the, I said that's too much work for me. Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's very. You can hear me too. So come on, it gives you incentive. It's very easy to do. Then on I got I got I got Yeah, I got to set it up on there. It's like I'm working <laughs> while I'm watching these games. I can't do that. All right, Brian. Well, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Great stuff. And uh, go Penguins, obviously, from my end, and of course from your end. And we'll see you soon in Pittsburgh. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for this, guys. It's been awesome to catch up with you both on this show. I, I listened to it, and now I got to be a part of it. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, man. Awesome. See you later. Take buddy. care. We'll talk soon.